in and look at the theme again of prophecy. We pray that what Paul describes would happen more and more in our church in the way that you, Holy Spirit, want to happen in our church. We pray that you would bring your word to life in us more and more as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us access to the Father. Father, we praise you for that in his name. Amen. Okay. Um, we've been doing a little bit of prophesying already. Um, any questions, before we go any further, any questions from last week? You don't have to. Um, you might have left last week and thought, I really hope Alex covers this in the talk. Um, I've got quite a lot of uh, flexibility in my notes this week. So does anyone, did anyone come away from last week as we looked at the theme of what is prophecy in tongues and why prophecy is greater than tongues and have any particular questions they that were hoping I might address? You don't have to. Uh, so it was, um, last week was recorded, and um, I can send you the notes. So if anyone wasn't able to be here last week, this week will make slightly less sense if you weren't here last week, yeah. but not... not <laughs> uh, today's being recorded, yeah. It's just not being filmed. Yeah, it is being recorded, isn't it? Yeah. Go on, Jim, you had a question. My question is, why aren't we doing it more as a church? Why aren't we doing prophecy more as a church? That's great. That, that, that kind of fits in with the theme of the whole, the whole passage. Um, so uh, let's keep going. Before we get going, um, I'm going to read through this passage again, um, and you can follow it in your notes or in your Bibles. Um, before we do that, I always like to start as a reminder of the whole theme of 1 Corinthians, because this is a letter from Paul, uh, the apostle who started the church in Corinth about 10 years after Jesus uh, died and rose. And um, he was writing into a church with a lot of mess. And some of the mess they had, in fact, a lot of the mess had to do with what we're discussing today. What's the role of the spiritual gifts in the church, especially prophecy in tongues? This wasn't the most sordid church, in fact, far from it. If you ever need to be encouraged in your Christian life that you're not as bad as others, just read 1 Corinthians. Um, but also read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and recognize that you should be humbled by the message of the cross because actually your heart is just as bad. And the message of 1 Corinthians is this, be who you are in Christ. Um, who you are in Christ has nothing to do with you or your performance or how brilliant we are as a church. Um, it has to do what Jesus has done for us in living the life that we fail to live, in dying the death that we deserve to die as he died on that cross. And as we look at him in our mind's eye on the cross, bleeding, naked, ashamed, dying for us, we should think that is what my sin against God deserves. The way I've treated God, the way I've pushed God out of the picture, the cross is what I deserve. And yet... As humble as that makes me, wow, it lifts me up again because how much does God love me that the eternal Son of God would die for me on the cross? And so if that's my status now, that I've swapped places with Jesus, he's taken my sin and I have his new resurrection life, well then, if that's my status, why wouldn't I want to live it? And that's the message of 1 Corinthians. Be who you are in Christ. Live as the person Jesus has saved you to be. There'll be a lot of mess. There's a lot of things to sort out. But it's a positive motivation because all the work has been done. 
be who you are in Christ. Um, Then last week, we looked at this theme of a spirit-empowered interdependent body. We've been looking at that since 1 Corinthians 12. And last week, we, we started 1 Corinthians 14 of why prophecy is more desirable than tongues. And this week, we're looking at what should we do when we gather? What, we, what should we do when we gather? What, what should we do as church? A church just means a gathering. Uh, what should we do as church? What should we do when we gather? And um, uh, can I have one of those uh, double-sided sheets? Oh, no, I've got loads here. And it, does anyone not have one of those? Um, uh, last week, we started by looking at verse 1 as the sort of summary and introduction. I'd like you this week to look at verse 39 to 40, the summary of the whole chapter. Um, Paul did this in certainly at the end of 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm pretty sure he's done it again at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Um, a summary of this whole chapter um, is there in verse 39 and 40. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, uh, so right at the bottom at the page, the end of the passage. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And I think that's the message of the whole chapter, that we should be eager to prophesy. Everyone should be. That, that tongues has its benefits, and especially if it's interpreted, but don't, so don't forbid it, but it's not the main thing as perhaps the Corinthians were trying to make it. Um, But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. There there needs in a family gathering to be some kind of leadership and structure. And we're going to look at um, those two things um, as two sections. But before we do, we're going to recap as I read through that whole passage. And um, we're going to look at what is prophecy and what is tongues. Um, And you'll see on your sheets that I've outlined... Um, a summary sentence of what is prophecy um, and then what is tongues. Um, And I want you to sort of check through as we go. On on this side, the left-hand side, um, you'll see I've put all the verses that relate to prophecy. Um, And then on the right-hand side, I've put all the verses that relate to speaking in tongues. Um, But the passage just flows as it would. Other than that, it just helps you visually to see whether we're talking about tongues or prophecy. Um, And I want you to sort of test whether you think this summary of what prophecy and tongues are is true. Um, So on your sheets, you see it says, what is prophecy? Um, I I stole this from uh, John T. Alcock, who's a pastor at the Globe Church. Um, I just thought he very accurately and helpfully summarized it um, in a way that I tried to explain last week but didn't come up with this lovely summary sentence. He He says it's speaking to others, for their good, clearly, together, by the Spirit. And then tongues, uh, I've actually used the same formula. He didn't use this, but I've stole the format from him. Tongues is speaking to God for your own good, your individual good, not clearly, on your own, by the Spirit. Okay? Okay. now, as we work through this passage, um, I want you to sort of test whether that fits, okay? So here goes. Are we ready? Any questions? Uh, lots of interaction encouraged in all talks, um, this one especially. 
Um, ready to go? Oh, yes. go on. No, he's got a question. There we are. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's very helpful, thank you. Um, so tongues, literally, it, I mean, they use the word tongue in Greek, but it, a, a, correct, a more correct translation, actually, of tongues is, is languages. Uh, so hang on, there's two types. So it literally means languages. So the literal translation of tongues is languages. Um, the reason that we've translated it in tongues is because in Old English, tongues meant languages. Um, I speak in a foreign tongue, means I speak in a foreign language. Um, in, uh, pen at Pentecost, um, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the believers there, they were enabled to speak in other languages so that they could be understood in the languages of all the visitors who were there. And um, many people say, well, that's all that tongues is, is it's just um, a miraculous ability to speak a foreign language, a human language. Um, but it seems, and you, you can test this as we read through 1 Corinthians 14, that there's also a kind of heavenly language sense of speaking in tongues, um, which, yeah, might sound like gibberish, um, but is a, a spirit-given ability to pray to God, but in a language that we don't understand or would require interpretation, um, but a kind of miraculous interpretation. Um, and, and I think it means both and we had very helpfully last week, we had Tanya here, who's Bulgarian, and she talked about how she was encouraged to pray in Bulgarian, which is absolutely right, um, because she struggles with English. Um, but I encouraged her to give a tiny, as, as simple as she could, summary of her prayer in English so that we'd have some interpretation. But I think the same would be true as if you felt you had some heavenly language to share. Um, anyway... That should be a helpful start. Let's, um, let's get going. 1 Corinthians 14. Um, oh, it says 1 to 26. Sorry, it is 1 to 40. The whole chapter. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So that's the, the big theme. Especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves or builds up themselves. That's what edify means. But the one who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified or built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, or if I bashed on the piano... How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. 
Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now in the put in the position of an inquirer or an outsider, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified or built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue to stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written in, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. For those who weren't here last week, um, this is a quote from Isaiah. Uh, welcome back, Tanya. Happy birthday. No, no, I was singing your praises just now. Um, uh, so Isaiah, this section of Isaiah is about the Assyrian. Something. He's got a robot, really. I'll start talking in gibberish if you're not careful. Um, uh, this is the uh, Assyrian army who are coming in in judgment on the people of God. And the sound of foreign languages of Assyrian in the streets of Jerusalem is a sign of judgment. And Paul is saying, when you hear a language you don't understand, it's a sign of judgment. It's a sign of being an outsider, of being excluded. And so if unbelievers come in and everyone's speaking gibberish or they can't understand it, they feel excluded. They feel judged. They feel, I'm not part of this, whatever's going on here. So tongues in that sense as a sign of judgment are not for believers but for unbelievers. But he's saying that that's not helpful. Uh, moving to the end of verse 22, prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers but for believers. It's to build up believers. But it has benefits for unbelievers we're going to see as well. Verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and an inquirer or unbeliever comes in, will they not say, you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now we move into the sense of, kind of what do we do in the gathering? Verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together each of you has a, a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or th at most three should speak at one time and someone must interpret. See why then I put this next bit in the other column. 
Verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Now, verses 34 and 35, I've put square brackets and pushed to one side because you don't need them to make sense of the passage, and they are incredibly controversial. Um, so I'm going to keep reading, and then I'll come back and read them to make sure we've read them. Okay? Uh, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the spirits, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. I left those two verses out because I just wanted to see the flow of kind of the order of prophecy in tongues in the church and so on. Um, I'm going to go back and read verse 34 and 35. Um, it says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, must be, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful, disgraceful, disgraceful. <laughs> I don't know why I felt I had to repeat that three times. <laughs> for a woman to speak in church. Debbie, you obviously weren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, she should have a word with you, but just not here. Um, if we get time, uh, we'll look at verse 34 and 35. There is no, there are, unlike when we looked at 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to know what the Bible says uh, on the principle of uh, men and women's roles, we did a series on it um, a couple of years ago, and we did a sermon on it in 1 Corinthians 11, which is a long passage on men and women's roles in the church, and really positively encourages women to prophesy. So this is a bit confusing, this bit, where they're told to be silent because they're told to prophesy. With their heads covered, we looked at that, but they're told that they are really encouraged to pray and prophesy publicly in the church. Even verse 39 says that. Even verse 39 says that. Yeah, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, yeah. So um, the question of what this means, I feel fairly confident on. The reason I've pushed it to one side is there are no principles given for this one. I think... I think uh, most of the time, when gender roles come up in the Bible, there are principles and then there's cultural practices. Here, it's just cultural practice. There's no reason given as to why women should remain silent here. I think there is a very good reason then. I don't think it applies today, as you will have seen already. Um, I was teasing Debbie when she spoke. <laughs> and we've encouraged women to um, speak out. Go on, Darshan. Uh, basically, I think, um, th uh, so there's lots of quotes of ancient um, Greek speakers, uh, essay writers, um, uh, intellectuals, um, 
officials saying how appalling it is for a woman to speak in public in a way that might undermine her husband. Um, and it's a big thing, just to be seen on the street for a woman to speak like that in the culture of the day was seen as a real no-no. And I think Paul is observing that there was a tendency in Corinth, as we saw a bit in 1 Corinthians 11, for women to be countercultural. Um, to the point that, in one sense, he was really wanted to encourage. You know, Paul says elsewhere, there's neither male nor female, um, uh, slave nor free. You're all one in Christ. You're all absolutely equal in Christ. And Paul, that sort of radical equality of the gospel was so countercultural that Paul was trying to say to them, look, don't fight it on this one. It will just be so offensive to your culture at the time. Yeah. I think the absolute opposite would be true today. If we stop women from speaking in the church, it would be so appallingly offensive to our culture. I think Paul would literally say the opposite in these two verses. Um, we can come back to that if there's more time I can quote for you from some ancient sources. Or if you're really interested in it, I can give it to you. Let's get back to the main point, because that isn't the main point. Um, so, here we go. Um, what is prophecy? Um, there on your sheets. Um, Feel free to, to, to shout out. Um, are you comfortable that the idea of prophecy is it's clearly speaking? Uh, now, we think of it as foretelling the future. Yeah, so when we hear the word prophecy in English, uh, we think immediately probably of foretelling the, the future. I, I said last week that actually the biblical theme of prophecy is much more about foretelling. In fact, the word literally means just to speak out, to speak publicly, to speak out. There's no sense in the word itself of foretelling. Um, there's a little element of it, and you see it through the prophets, but actually most of what the prophets in the Old Testament say is not predicting the future. It's speaking the truths of the word of God that are applicable right there and then. Um, and so it's not, there, is, there are elements of prediction in it. Um, so it's mostly foretelling, just speaking out. Um, there is an element of foretelling, and, and um, I was very helped by someone this week that I listened to who said, of course, once we're trusting in Christ, we know the future in the way that the rest of the world doesn't. And if you simply share the gospel with someone, you are foretelling the future, aren't you? You're saying there will be a day when God himself will call you to account, either when you die or when Jesus returns. And, um, and what we've done with our relationship with God matters. And Jesus has come to rescue us, and then he's going to come again and bring us back into relationship with God if we trust in him. There's, there's quite a lot of prophecy in there in terms of foretelling, isn't there? Um, so just the gospel itself is foretelling a little bit. Is it also truth-telling? Yes, I mean, that, that's what it is. Yeah, and we're going to look at that a little bit more. So in a sense, <coughs> explaining the gospel is prophecy, in a sense, if it's truth-telling. I, I think explaining the gospel is prophecy. I don't think it's only explaining the simple gospel is prophecy. There's lots of other things that are prophecy. Um, but it's definitely speaking, isn't it? Uh, there's lots of different kinds of speaking, as we just read through. There's, he describes it in lots of different ways. Words, revelation, uh, interpretation, so on and so on. Okay, so it's speaking to others. Uh, it's clearly not to yourself. Prophecy, it's tongues is to yourself. Oh, or, or, sorry, tongues is to God. It's, tongues is kind of prayer language. Um, but prophecy is speaking to others. 
um, for their good. And this is the priority, like of all the spiritual gifts, it's for the good of others. The way of love is the self-sacrificial way of love that Christ set us for the good of others. Um, I heard someone describe it, it's like a, a runner whose priority is not to get their personal best, but to help the person they're running with to get their personal best. And if we're prophesying, we're speaking for the encouragement, for the upbuilding of others. We're, we're not concerned to, to do our bit. We're concerned for them to be uplifted. Um, speaking to others for their good, clearly. Um, so it's distinct from tongues in that you, you can't understand other languages unless they're interpreted. Um, and you know, like the trumpet blast, he, he uses that. If you were imagined an old city with a... Uh, uh, someone standing looking, for, looking, uh, looking out to see if the enemy was coming. Their job was then to blow the trumpet very clearly. Everyone knew exactly what it meant. Which means that prophecy is not what you often see in some false churches, some dodgy sort of healing ministries, or you see it with kind of uh, sort of hand readers and whatever you call those people, mystics and stuff. I feel, I feel an S. There's an S. And, and someone with this S is going to be more successful this week. Yes, there's another S. <laughs> and, and you're all kind of trying to work out what it means, and you're discussing, what does that mean? And No, no, it's clear. It's clear. It's, you know what they said when they said it. Um, uh, and so on. So speaking to others for their good, clearly, it's together. It's together. Verse 19 um, on your sheet says, uh, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words. In the church, in the gathering, it's it's together thing. So there is a lot of, and how much together means, as it's, if it, I think it one-to-one counts, uh, a few people, uh, a small group, um, the whole church, but it is a together thing. And, um, uh, you also get the ratio there, don't you, of, of the t- togetherness, what we do when we gather. Um, so it's 2,000 times better to prophesy than speak in tongues. That's the ratio, 5 to 10,000. It's 2,000 times better to prophesy in the church, in the gathering, than to speak in tongues. It's a, it's a together thing. It's something we do in the gathering. Um, by the Spirit. Well, that's clear throughout the whole of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And the encouragement here under by the Spirit is, well, therefore, everyone can do it. It's not about your own innate abilities. It's not how great you are at public speaking. Um, There are obviously different ways. Some people will feel much more nervous speaking out publicly than others. But actually, everyone is encouraged to do it, and everyone can. And even those who feel that they're more naturally gifted at speaking out must depend on the Holy Spirit and ask him to be at work in them. And just to encourage you with this definition of prophecy, you're already doing it. And what's really encouraged me is over the last year or so at the church, we've just seen it growing more and more. And, and people were just taking the mic and praying biblical truths in their own words, depending on God, the Holy Spirit, um, and encouraging the body. And I was encouraged. I was edified as we met today. I was encouraged by Finn singing Strength Will Rise at the top of his voice as he sat on my shoulders. Um, and I was encouraged by adults speaking out and praying and so on. You're doing it. You're doing it already. Um, What is tongues? Um, Tongues is uh, speaking to God 
for your own good. Um, it's not clearly, um, unless there's an interpretation, in which case it becomes, it becomes prophecy. Yeah, interpreted tongues falls into the category of prophecy because then we can all understand it, it's clear, and we're, up, we're encouraged and built up. Um, uninterpreted tongues is for your own good, it's not clear, it's on your own, you know, to the ratio of uh, 1 to 2,000. Um, the vast majority of tongues should be on your own unless it's interpreted, and it's by the Spirit as well. Um, don't be self-dependent, don't think you have to sort of conjure up energy in yourself. Um, but there is no indication, un unlike in cults of all religions or in strange uh, wacky groups, um, there is no indication that tongues is this kind of ecstatic language, involuntary kind of ecstasy outburst uh, where you sit in a room and you wait to be taken over and then suddenly, once you're taken over by the Holy Spirit, you're just going to go for it, and you can't stop. There's no sense. In fact, as we saw, Paul said, if there's no interpretation, the person speaking tongues should sit down, remain silent. They can control it. It's total control. And so that's, also, it's a, it's, that's a kind of rebuke, but it's also an encouragement. It's a private prayer language. And has anyone ever thought, I'm going to pray and just sat there in silence and waited for God to bring clear words out of their mouth. When you go to the prayer meeting, do you sort of just sit there and think, Lord, I pray for Jim. You know, and, and that was an involuntary. No, when we pray, we, we know what we're doing. The Holy Spirit works with our natural abilities, with our minds. He works in us. And I think speaking in tongues, even if you don't understand it, is the same. And so if you want to give it a go, because Paul encourages, he says, I, I would like all of you to speak in tongues. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's not something that should be used for the public gathering. We wouldn't have known Paul spoke in tongues if it weren't for this chapter. But if it's on your own and you're thinking, well, I just don't have the gift of tongues because I've never been overtaken by the Holy Spirit. You've never had that. Well, maybe you've just got a misunderstanding of what Prayer is, tongues is a kind of prayer. And so you could pray, Lord, please give me your Holy Spirit and enable me to pray to you in tongues because I don't know what to pray and I want to have a deeper walk with you and I just want to pour out my heart to you and sometimes I don't have the words, so just help me to speak and just start speaking. And it may sound like gibberish and if you're not edified by it, don't worry. Just stop, don't worry. We're told, um, where is it? Just look across the page. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So here, in the extra readings. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, the second last verse. Uh, do you have gifts of healing? Do all have gifts of healing? Assuming the answer no. Do all speak in tongues? Assuming the answer no. So, so we don't, not everyone has it. But we should all seek it and not be suspicious of it and think it's something completely weird. Um, it's going to sound a lot weirder than prophecy, <laughs> which is very clear. Okay. Sorry, yeah, sure.
Yep. And I'm wondering, if, listen to you, in a sense, the children then start saying words that start making sense, and yep. then they get more language and more language. Yep. Um, and maybe it could be that a little bit in tongues as well. Yep. So to start with, it might just be... Yep. I don't really know, but yep. what we do is, as it were, more of a speaking like, not an infant, but an adult in tongues. I, I think that that could be exactly the case. It could be that that actually the tongue speaking is for infants and they should do it at home on their own. And, you know, I love it when Eliza speaks gibberish to me. I mean, that, she speaks a lot of gibberish, doesn't she, at the moment? <laughs> but I don't say to her, look, shut up, Eliza. You're just not speaking any sense. Just come back to me when you can talk properly. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, she's, she's 18 months and I love it. And I, and I love when there's some clarity there, but she's pouring out her heart. She's excited. She's, she's excited to see daddy. That's what our relationship with God should be like as child father. It's not that helpful when you bring it into the church gathering. Um, so I think that's, that's a helpful one. I also think the other thing, um, uh, which it's like children, um, and this leads into, we're not going to get through all this, <laughs> um, uh, but this leads into um, the idea of under God given peace and authority. Um, Paul says verse... 26, verse 26 here. Um, uh, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And if they come with all these encouragements, these these prophetic gifts to share, if they come in the spirit that he's talking about, in one of order and love and serving others, then that's fantastic. If they come... um, Who's, been, who's ever seen kids do show and tell? Any, any teachers here who know what show and tell is? So show and tell is when uh, children are encouraged to bring in something they found, say, over the weekend or over a holiday, and they can show it, and then the teacher will get very excited. And the idea is that the kids are showing the teacher that they've learned something. But what you find among show and tell is that, you know, Henry will come forward with the feather that he found on the beach, and... If he, out of 30 kids, if he is number 28, he has not listened to number 1 to 27 at all. All he's been keen to do is show his feather. And if we come with our gift and we're like that, then we're thinking like children. And actually God says, no, you can hold it back. There'll be times when you've got a prophecy to share and two or three have already spoken and it's time to sing the next song and you're just going to have to hold it in. And that's okay. Um, and you might be able to share the encouragement with someone one-to-one later, or you might just keep your feather to yourself. <laughs> and, and that's all right. Um, <laughs> um, let's just look at, at point one on the sheets, uh, just a little bit more, that everyone should eagerly desire to prophesy. We'll come back next week. Um, I planned to have three weeks on this. I'd w- I thought I might finish early, and then I was wondering what to fill next week with. But, uh, to encourage you, Yeah. Because we should have had all this first. And then we should have had the songs. And we've got... So an actually, you help me out as well. I, I, I hope we've got many years of this to go, Jim. We could, uh, this isn't just... We're not just prophesying this one one. <laughs> and then we move on to another person. Um, so that first point... Um, uh, just, just, just to finish off on tongues. Um, it's a private prayer language. You just decide to start speaking to God in a language you don't understand. 
Um, you may not be, in my experience, sometimes I've just not convinced that I'm doing it or not, but sometimes just carried on. And then I have been encouraged and uplifted, and I have been pouring out to my heart to God. And I, I don't know, often my mind is unfruitful, but my heart is encouraged, and I feel like Eliza coming to her daddy and talking gibberish and being affirmed. Um, and, and I'd encourage you to have a go at that. And no one can tell you whether it's right or wrong. Um, what you may find is that as you do this, as, as Jim was describing, you may find you feel prompted to do that with others there. There may be, you have this real sense, I think it's not going to be gibberish this time. Um, only you'll know that. On the whole, your instinct should be to keep quiet. But if you feel that there might be an interpretation, or if like um, Tanya, um, if you're speaking in Bulgarian and you can actually do an interpretation, or there's another Bulgarian speaker who could literally translate for you, then that's fine. Um, uh, so if you feel that sense, then, then speak out in tongues. And others will be encouraged just to hear you communing with God and then try and interpret yourself or, or see if someone else is there. If there isn't, that's fine. It's okay to take risks. And, and that's what Paul says at the end of the chapter, doesn't he? Do not forbid speaking in tongues. I think the safer place to speak in tongues is in the prayer meeting. Uh, and that's actually where we've, as a church, seen tongues come out, um, is at the prayer meeting rather than at the the big gathering uh, where unbelievers might walk in. But um, there's a little bit, just an encouragement that you, you, you are free to take risks on that. Okay. Uh, we should finish, and this should lead into tea and coffee. Everyone should eagerly desire to prophesy. prophesy. Does that should make anyone here feel a bit uncomfortable? Uh, it's there on the sheet. So everyone should eagerly desire to prophesy. Everyone should. How do you feel about the should? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there is a, there is a, a kind of urging. There is an urging that Paul is doing here. And I think the best way that we will find it easy to prophesy is to realize there's nothing mystical or magical about it. Let's ignore the fact that it means prediction mostly in English in outside the church and see that actually it's speaking forth the word of God. Um, and actually you're doing it already. Um, it seems everyone is expected to be participating. Verse 24, everyone is prophesying. Paul imagines the scene when everyone is prophesying. Back and forth, there's lots of people. It's, the church is supposed to be so different to a cinema or a classical concert um, where you don't want anyone to participate. You know, if, if anyone starts participating in, in a cinema or a classical concert where everyone's sitting there quietly, uh, that is not good. Um, but um, in the church, um, it matters whether you participate. And so even if your singing isn't very tuneful and in a concert it wouldn't sound great, please sing. Because actually that's prophesying, isn't it? We, we've seen that in, in the verse at the beginning that G, uh, Jim read. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So, so it doesn't matter how good your voice is, just, just sing. And, and as you sing, you're doing it for others. It's not about how you feel. So, so look around and see if you can encourage others as you sing. And think about how you sing in terms of whether you smile and whether you show you want to be there. Because actually, my first experience of a good church, the first time I ever went to a Bible teaching church, I think I've said this before, my biggest, the biggest thing that struck me was as I looked around, I thought, these people really want to be here. And that was them prophesying to me. 
They were prophesying. They were singing biblical truths. And the message they were conveying is they want to be here because my experience of church up until that point was it's all compulsory and boring and tedious and only for old ladies and so on. Or public school boys who were forced to go to chapel. Right, yeah, um, please do. It's interesting that we use the word talk, not sermon. <coughs> I don't know whether I'm doing this correctly, but when I tell other people about this church, yeah. they, say we, they say, well, what's the church like? And I yeah. say, well, we have a 45-minute talk. And you can imagine that doesn't go down very well. Yeah. But I explain that it's a talk, not a sermon, because we want people to interrupt in conversation yeah. Yeah. rather than a sermon, which my experience is you're actually not allowed to interrupt a sermon in our Anglican churches. Yeah, yeah. I think we should positively encourage it. Yeah, not in what they, I mean, they or they just they they would, but they'd be like, "What are you doing?" Well, actually, the church, <laughs> yeah. warden, the church warden might remove you. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Uh, but actually, sermon is just an old English word for talk. So. But, but, but I use it as a yeah. distinction. Because yeah. We want interruption and yeah. prophecy in the sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right. Um, as I said, as we closed last time, and I'll say it as we, as we close this time, um, prophecy is speaking the t- truth in love. And it's that, um, uh, it's that Ephesians 4 um, that we've looked at before, which I think we don't see as so magical. Um, Darshan, you wanted to say something? Sorry, Sorry I didn't see. Yeah. We, w- yeah, we have premonitions about things, but actually... Uh, no, I... One to discuss over coffee. But no, but actually the idea is, it's not, there's nothing magical about it. What, what we're going to see is, so in Ephesians 4, let me just read Ephesians 4, there, 11 to... Um, those who are getting ready for tea and coffee, please do. Um, Ephesians 4, it says, So Christ himself gave... So That's the same word as charismatic gift. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of ministry or service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So those at the front are to equip, those those, uh, leading the church, providing order to the church, are to equip everyone to do something that will build up the church, to minister in a way that builds up the church. What builds up the church in 1 Corinthians 14? <laughs> but literally prophecy, doesn't it? Prophecy builds up the church. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. There are other voices, other teachings, other prophecies coming in to our lives, speaking about the meaning of life. And we could be blown back and forth by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. But if we're equipped equipped through the scriptures, taught by the pastors and teachers, to become ministers to one another by building each other up in prophecy, then instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, which I think is prophesying, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Why don't we close and pray and pray that that continues and we'll carry on next week uh, going on the same theme. Let's, let's pray. Father, in some senses, the way 1 Corinthians 14 is, it's, it's quite a niche subject. 
and we can get daunted by this strange language of prophecy and tongues. And yet, actually, as we break it down, it seems to be talking about the normal everyday thing that every Christian should be doing, uh, being saturated in the truths from your word, the truths of the scriptures, being taught, and then speaking those truths into each other's lives in a way that encourages and builds up. Father, please help us to demysticize the idea of prophecy and to do it more and to feel that we need to participate. We need each other. Um, Please help us to do that both in the formal part of the service and now as we move into the informal part. Um, Not like little children trying to show off, but as those who care deeply about others and are praying as we approach others as to how we might encourage and build them up, how we might share a word that would support them as to when they're going through a struggle that we might look into the scriptures deeply to see if there's a way that we can find to encourage them in their particular circumstances. Help us to be doing this more and more for Jesus' sake. Amen.